0: You're listening to Who Run the World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace. I'm Marilyn, your host, and in this episode, I talk to Elisa Freja, founder and CEO of Wumina, a platform dedicated to encouraging gender diversity and inclusion in the entrepreneurship ecosystem across the Middle East. In this episode, you're going to hear about Elisa's own entrepreneurial journey, including victories, challenges, and failures she faced along the way. If you take away one thing from Elisa's story, it's a lesson that's very difficult for Oriental humans, women in particular, to live with, which is, what do you do when something fails? How do you move forward from that? How do you continue building on top of it? It's to be brave. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Elisa.
1: Have you ever heard of Diana Vreeland? She was the most famous editor of Vogue in the United States. And she says the first thing one must do to be successful is to arrange to be born in Paris and so I was born in Paris and that was something that I consider very very lucky because I spent my entire life there until I moved to the UAE about five years ago my father is Lebanese and Emirati my mother is American from California I was born and raised in Paris so this typical third culture kid kind of identity crisis I have two siblings studied Marketing and communications at the American University of Paris. I don't know what else you guys want to know. I had a
0: dog. So did your parents also arrange to meet in Paris?
1: No. My parents met in California.
0: When your dad was there to... I don't know what he was doing.
1: He was with his friends having a good time. But he saw my mother coming out of an ice cream parlor and uh, chatted with her and kind of wooed her early on so this man from a foreign land in the Middle East in the peak of the oil booms and I think she just had such a great time with this she was a ballerina and loves adventure and creativity and he's one of the most charming humans on the planet.
0: So you grew up in Paris your whole life what age did you decide to move to the UAE?
1: So I decided to move to the UAE when I was 23.
0: What happened? Was it a kind of reclaiming, re-understanding your identity or something more casual? Both. So actually, when I graduated, I realized
1: that although I had been born and raised in Paris, I was very disconnected from the reality of my cultures that made me up. And first thing I did was I actually did a road trip through the US because I wanted to reconnect with the US. There was a lot of anti-American rhetoric in my upbringing because, you know, 9-11 happened and there was very much the Arabs versus the Americans and a lot of negative elements that came into that. So I wanted to re the United States for myself and so I did a three month road trip with one of my best friends. It was a documentary blog where we traveled the US and interviewed people and looked at their backgrounds, their stories, their profiles and told their stories online. It was called A Billion Shades of Beige and the idea was that yes, we're all mixes of different cultures and different experiences and so nobody is black or white or brown. Everybody is a different shade of beige with different tones and different nuances and after I finished that road trip, I I started focusing on my entrepreneurial journey and what I was going to do with that. I'm the kind of person who, since I was a kid, always knew I was going to work for myself. Like, I always knew I was going to be my own boss. I knew I was going to come up with my own ideas. Every year, I pretty much had a different idea. So one year it was editing a magazine. One year it was owning a nail salon. One year it was a bakery. One year it was jewelry design. And every time I had those ideas, I went full into them and like studied them and worked on them until something put me off of the idea and I moved on to something else.
0: So you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but not in the US. When I traveled, I realized that the US wasn't the right
1: place for me. Europe was really traditional. And I started looking at key entrepreneurial hubs And not just that, but key places that were very different to Paris. I was like, if I'm going to move, I want a completely different experience. I've been walking everywhere my entire life and using public transport. I want to drive. I've had winter and cold weather my entire life. I want something sunny. Paris is very historical and traditional. And I wanted somewhere innovative and different and new. And my father had been based in the UAE for a long time. So I considered this place as a second home. And at the time, Dubai really seemed like it was the right move for us.
0: So after her road trip in the U.S., Elisa decided to move to the UAE. But she didn't go there alone. On the one hand, back in college, Elisa worked as a barista and baker, making American style cakes at a coffee shop in Paris. So she convinced one of her friends to move to Dubai with her and open a restaurant. At the same time, she reconnected with an old college friend called Chantal. The two always wanted to work together, and they essentially decided life was too short and there was no time like the present. So. Elisa also convinced her to move with her to Dubai and start something up together. And they started hunting for an idea. Elisa tells us more about this process.
1: We brainstormed and we each brought, I think, 15 different ideas to the table and on a spreadsheet. And we started going through all those ideas and cutting them down from 30 to 10, from 10 to 5, from 5 to 1. And every time we hit one specific one, we wouldn't stop talking. So she'd been working in the startup scene in New York and she suggested an angel network. I didn't know what angel investing was or what venture capital was or entrepreneurship was but for whatever reason as she was talking to me about this we couldn't shut up like we were so into it and and I saw the opportunity in the UAE I knew entrepreneurs who were struggling to find funding and I knew investors and young investors who were learning to invest but not being
0: able to actually get the right advice find the right way sell sell their product properly etc so we decided on an angel group okay so you get here describe day zero to me did you have a home to come to?
1: Yes. So I had a home. And not only that, I convinced my two friends that I was starting businesses with to move in with me. So we were three girls in a house in an underdeveloped area. So at the time it was on Sadiat. It felt like this typical garage story that people talk about. It was pretty awesome. And every day for the first few months, I would wake up and I'd spend the first half of the day working on one project and the second half working on another. And each of my friends was full time on their own respective projects.
0: That takes a lot of uh, drive, that discipline. Yeah, listen, I ended up dropping one.
1: After, I think, three or four months, you know, I realized that working on the Angel Network kept feeding me energy, and I stayed excited about it, and I was more and more inspired by it. Over time, every time I worked on the restaurant, I was getting the energy sucked out of me, and I was lost, and I felt like I was just hitting a brick wall and and not inspired anymore, and just really put off by the amount of bureaucracy and legislation efforts, and I realized... I just wanted to be inspired all the time. And there was no point in continuing something that was making me unhappy.
0: Was it hard telling your friend?
1: Yeah, it was really difficult. But we're still best friends today. And so I love her very much. And we both admit that we were not in the right state of mind at that time to actually achieve the goal that we had set out to do.
0: So then you you dropped the second project. You stuck to the Angel Investor Network. You were still with your best friend working from home. And then how did it grow into what it is today?
1: We started working on the Angel Investor Network and actually at the time was called United Arab Angels, which is a terrible name.
0: And luckily we
1: identified that about uh, two months before launch and uh, rebranded, renamed... But we worked on this project for about a year before we launched it. So we had our business plan. We did it by the book, you know, all the numbers, all the research, all the interviews that we had to do, editing as we went. We were building the brand identity and the website and the documents and the strategy. So we launched exactly a year to the day that I moved there with a women only launch event, which was absolutely insane. And when I look back on it, it's just nowhere near what I would put out now if I was doing an event. Why? Because it was just such an amateur move. Like, you have to think about it. I was 24 years old. My co-founder was 25. We invited 60 of the most high-profile women in the UAE to come to my home for the launch of Wumina. We had some catering for drinks. Parking was a total nightmare. We brought in a photographer and we wanted, like, a board when they walk in to take a photo with branding. But instead of getting a foam board with branding, as I would do now, we had, like, a photo shoot, rolly thing that we had to tape down on the ground, just like kind of stuck in the entrance hall. We had a videographer who wasn't able to organize the right footage. So all the video came out with like the yellow lighting of the house. So everybody looked like really yellow, like they had jaundice. So we realized we should create a presentation only about 30 minutes before the event. So we were like hushed up in my bedroom, like creating an impromptu PowerPoint presentation to present to these women and then we had speakers for microphones for a presentation right at the beginning we knocked over the speakers that we had borrowed from a friend that we had just made in Dubai and the speaker had fallen on a projector screen that was coming down and the projector screen ripped oh my goodness and then the actual projector itself broke so we had bright blue light on the projector screen with the logo like audio visual or whatever That did not change. So as I'm talking, I'm standing with a blue light on half of me and the screen. And it was just, I didn't know what to say. So we talked for only about five minutes and then we said, great, have a good day. And all the women had been sat there like they were expecting data and a presentation and a launch and a whole thing. And we were just like, thank you
0: for coming. Now have a good time. But the energy in that room was fucking amazing. Okay, because I thought that what you were trying to say is that you would have invited men if you had done it now.
1: Well, I for sure would not have done it women only. Our only employee was an intern, was a man. And we made him sit outside.
0: Okay, that was a bit much, but... uh... We were inviting, (laughs) because we
1: were inviting locals and we wanted them to feel comfortable to not wear their abayas. So it was very important to us to have it be a female-only event and promote it as much because we were trying to culturally be Be sensitive, sensitive, which now I wouldn't do. Because now I know what the limits are in the UAE culture and I know where I can go and what I can step and what expectations are you don't need to be so sensitive in this region at the end of the day. You know, people are very open-minded and very westernized and very open to cultures and to other genders.
0: Yeah, the UAE is very much a bridge in this region at the very least. 100%. Culturally, they've always been acting like a bridge. And so I agree, they're a lot more relaxed than we might think when we're not living here. So the energy was great. But the
1: energy was magic. And actually, investors of ours to this day who were at that event will still say... That is the energy that kept me with Wemina throughout everything because it gave us this momentum, or what we now call momentum, that really carried us through for so long because, first of all, an investment was made. At that event, when there wasn't even supposed to be an investment made, but we had made a connection between an entrepreneur that was there and an investor that was there and she ended up investing. So we took it as a good omen. And just the overall positivity, we really underestimated at the time the need for an event and a space that targeted women and professional women and working women and entrepreneurs who wanted to collaborate and make a difference. So having that event and creating that space for them really was something special at the time.
0: I mean, that sounds amazing that we need to target women specifically because women don't invest in the same way. They don't have the same investment criteria. And also women don't get any advice on investment in the language that they understand because I think there's a lot of hardworking, well-paid women who have a bunch of cash at the bank and just don't know what to do with it. That thinking, that one
1: sentence is exactly the mindset that started women. It was, you know what, we can target women because one, nobody else is. Two, they're not going to look at us like someone's granddaughter or their own little baby girl. They're going to look at us as younger versions of themselves with the same opportunity. And at no point did we ever tell people we were investment experts. We just told them we had the vision to create a platform and bring everyone together. And that I would bring the experts and I would bring the investors. And by consequence, we ended up working with first-time investors. But we ended up doing education. 90% of our activity was education. And then 10% was actual investment because to this day, it's still immensely needed to target women and do basic investment and financial literacy education.
0: I was going to wait a little bit longer to ask you this question. but I'm going to ask it now. Do you realize how scary you sound? in a good way, in an amazing way. I think back to my 24-year-old self, and I don't think I would have had the courage, the determination, the clarity, the ability to iterate and fail and make choices and tell my best friend I was walking away from something, the ability to convince people to move somewhere. I mean, it's absolutely... Astonishing And in that sense, scary. Because every step of the way, you're taking what happens, you're accepting it, you're learning your lesson, you're moving on. And I think that at that age, very few people actually have that clarity of mind. And maybe it's just because you're talking about it now. But I also want to know, did you just feel that way your whole life? Did I feel which way? Brave.
1: I definitely did not feel brave in those (laughs) moments. I just did it. I don't think it was something that I ever questioned. Looking back also, I think there was a lot of naivety the way that I saw the world. And in the way that I ran the business. And do
0: you, do you think you'd have that naivete today? I'm Not. super
1: jaded now. <laughs> I give zero fucks. And that is such a phenomenal feeling as a woman. I feel like I've grown up. I'm 28. And uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I'll probably be
0: 29. I now trust my own voice more so inspiring to hear that the whole purpose of this podcast one of our main things was we wanted to put out more role models in front of people and say this person who you may identify with who's completely cool and relaxed uh, or stressed out or whatever because every woman is a different person and different character this person that you feel like you relate to was afraid didn't know what they were doing but here's how they did it and to hope to create role models. To have a 21-year-old who's now going to listen to this and maybe do something and, in 10 years, say the story, and hopefully the story starts with the podcast and with someone like you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just wanted to do stuff, and I cannot sit
1: and not do stuff inherently as a person. What scared me was that I never was involved in investment, I was never educated in investment, and yet I went into a space that was very much investment and I learned and I read everything that I could and it was an industry that I was really not familiar with that I never thought I would be in and self-educated and kind of went ahead with it but what comforted me is interestingly enough I had experiences before that prepared me for a lot of what Wamina required except for the actual Based knowledge and like the financial management of the business but from a very very early age i was the go-to salesperson in my school so in middle school high school university if you had a sale a bake sale a valentine's day flower sale you had a visiting writer you were selling a book like i was that annoying girl who was selling those books to those students who got the money out of those kids i was in theater all of high school most of university so I was very comfortable being on stage with a microphone and when we hosted events, it wasn't just that there were pitches, it was that it was a community, I was on stage hosting with Chantal, I was able to make jokes and like bring in the community, I could sell Womina as a concept to them, I knew how to pitch it and to frame it and Chantal, my co-founder at the time, was really making sure that everything that we said we were and we were going to do was true. You know, helping me with the actual, like, operations and and structuring of it. And so I don't think I was very scared because I stuck to my skill set most of the time. What scared me was I'm in a new country with a new culture and in a new industry. And I'm 23, 24, 25 years old in a place that is conventionally old men. Going up to those men and telling them about investing is very frustrating when they look at you like you're their daughter or you're their granddaughter. Who are you going to be telling me about investment? You're so cute. I've been doing this longer than you've been alive.
0: (laughs) This bravery and drive that best describes how Elisa approaches problems had come in handy for her once again as she had to face the fact that Wumina, the company she'd been building for the past five years, was not where it needed to be and decide to have a difficult conversation with her co-founder, which ultimately led her to pivot the direction of the company. Here's Elisa.
1: We are not an investment company. It feels great. What do you do? Our business model was inherently flawed. Throughout the journey, my co-founder and I ended up separating because we had very differing visions for the company, for ourselves. I had fallen in love with the women empowerment space and with the Middle Eastern community. She was always very focused on the U.S. and working for funds that would invest in U.S.-based companies, real real venture capital stuff. And I was much more, I want to empower women and focus on community. And so we decided to split. And the identity of Womina was so heavily rooted in women and Middle Eastern community, even though it was an investment platform. But that's why I ended up staying here and working with the company. I really took a big decision to dramatically shift the company structure about a year ago when I realized that I was kind of alone now, this was my company, I was the founder, and that for all intents and purposes, Womeno 1.0 as a business failed. As a brand, very strongly succeeded. So I had the brand, I didn't have a business, and I hated waking up in the mornings. And so I looked at what my overall purpose is and what my goal is and the why, my why, that I found throughout this journey. And my why is really to make the world better through gender equality through enhancing the role of women in society creating these role models and breaking expectations and perceptions of women and not just women but women in the middle east women like myself so i realized that the way that i was doing that before was so niche we had an angel investor network so we could educate women to invest and then those women would invest in deals that weren't necessarily women focused but we hoped that there would be more women that they would invest in so you would have more of a balanced portfolio and then those Balanced portfolios that did have women in them, they would be successful. And then those would be role models that eventually would get PR. But I, instead of doing all that, I really could just find the role models and tell their stories, which is what you girls do and which is what we now do. So Wemina became a dimensional media company that creates content, primarily video content, around female changemakers in and from the Middle East. And not only do we have this creative content arm. But then I decided we're also going to do an accelerator program because in all my years working as an investor, I realized that one of the key elements that was lacking is services for the entrepreneur. There are so many different players that have accelerators or have programs that are targeted towards entrepreneurs, but very few of them are actually done by entrepreneurs in the region. A lot of them are copy-paste models from the US that have consultants or managers that are ticking boxes. And we... Me and the Womina team had entrepreneurial experience in the region and in emerging markets. And so we said, you know what, we're going to create this platform that will help entrepreneurs every year to get forward. We're not only going to help identify the role models, we're also going to help lift those role models up. How do you make money? Media. Media. Then I realized my background is in media. I know media very, very well. And media is a proven business model. You sell advertising, you sell sponsorships, you sell product placement, you do sponsored content. So what we decided to do is we create really high quality, beautiful content, and then we bring on sponsors, advertisers, and, and clients onto that.
0: So you found enough companies that are interested in the gender equality and female role model space that you're able to sustain a team of eight Not yet.
1: Once I decided on the strategic shift, which is I'm not going to be an investment company. I'm going to be a media company that has a female and entrepreneurial focus. I knew that the business plan was proven.
0: Yeah, of course, because you're adopting something that's there. I'm
1: doing something that's already there. People have been making money off media for a very, very long time. Now, what kind of media? So coming up with that identity for Wemina was the most important thing. I know the money will come whenever we decide to... Turn on that revenue stream.
0: Elisa had to guide her team and company to change directions. And the way she did it was she put strategy in the hand of her team members. So today, her team is focused on coming up with a content strategy. One of the things they've done is turned their accelerator program into a source of content, making it into a web series. Basically, they're in the process of testing and experimenting and finding ways to create great content to attract advertisers. In order to guide her team, Elisa had to take on a new role, a new position as a solo leader and make her team feel ready, willing and able to take on this new challenge. Elisa and I talked about leadership and her own leadership style. One of my professors once said something that I really love about being a leader. He said that the role of a leader is to remove the sense of risk inside a team. They don't have to worry about how we're going to survive and how we're going to get our paycheck at the end of the month or if the company is going to be around in 10 years. The leader is the person who takes on that risk and creates an environment where the team feels riskless so that they can do their job really well you don't have a co-founder anymore how do you create the sense of a risk-free environment so that your team can do the awesome kick-ass job that they do look for now
1: the company is privately funded we have a few revenue streams but it's nothing near what we need in order to be self-sustaining okay the first iteration of this business did not succeed and if this company is going to fail then i want to tell myself that i gave it everything I gave it every ounce of creativity. I gave it all the dedication and the passion that I could muster. And if it fails after that, Alhamdulillah, shukran You know, it's a beautiful moment in my life and I'm blessed to meet the people that I did and will walk away. But it's been only about six months since we launched the new strategy and it's been doing so well. And the team that I've been able to attract is stupendous. I don't know. They also say leaders surround themselves with people better than themselves, right? That's exactly what I've done. And today, for example, we're working on 2019 strategy together. I talk to a few of them. I come up with an overall, here's what Wemina is. But together we discuss who we are, what we are, why we are, how we do this. And they have a say in their future. Whoever's managing the accelerator has a say in the guidance and the strategy of the accelerator and the whole team gets input. Whoever's managing the community does the same. Whoever's managing the media gets the same. Honestly, I don't think we're risk-free and I don't think they feel risk-free because we're not generating revenue and that's always going to be uncomfortable. And we're not a venture-backed business where we're raising funding and we have millions in the bank that we know of for sure. But they know that my commitment is unwavering. They know that they have control over their own destinies because this is a group effort. As long as they trust themselves, as long as they trust me, and as long as they trust each other, then the risk is really mitigated at that point.
0: I love that. What's the gender distribution of your team like? It's all women. I know.
1: Don't even get me started. I know I preach balance and inclusion. It's just really tough to find a guy who's willing to work in female empowerment.
0: I understand that argument.
1: So we do work with freelancers that... Our men are actually all-male teams, which balance us out for the larger projects. So on Momentum, for example, the director of the web series is a guy called Mark Hanna, who's based in Egypt, who's a phenomenal director and producer and videographer. I would have added him to my team if I could, but he's too brilliant. He's going to do his own thing. But it did make us realize that we do need some more male energy on the team. So we'll see as we hire. I try to hire as gender-blind as I can. But it's really based on the people that apply. So sometimes, you know, we give them exercises to do. We remove names from the exercises. We grade them appropriately. And the women have just always outbeat the guys.
0: I'm so happy to hear that. I don't mind at all. (laughs) (laughs) Part of
1: me likes to also say, yeah, we're all women. But two years ago, you probably would have told me it would have been difficult to find a senior analyst that's a woman. Or a director of acceleration that's a woman. A digital marketing guru and tech lead that's a woman. All of these roles can and are filled by women. And I found... Yeah. And also I know
0: plenty of 10 people companies that are all male. What are your thoughts on positive discrimination? Look, I'm very anti-discrimination in general. Okay. Positive reinforcement then.
1: I've worked with a lot of different entities in the ecosystem here in the UAE that want to hire and they want to hire more women for the right roles. And I tell them, look, don't tell yourself... I need a woman for this role. But tell yourself, I'm going to increase the applications from women for this role. Because a lot of times the argument is, I just don't get women. That's not my fault. That's their fault. They're not applying. They're scared. They're intimidated. They don't work hard enough. There aren't, they don't exist. But I get applicants for that role. I get majority of women applicants for my role. Why do I get a majority of women applicants for my role? I'm obviously female-friendly, female-focused. But we put out our requests on predominantly female-focused platforms that we know are going to increase applications from women. And so I tell them, hey, what do you do when you get a job? Well, I ask around. You ask your friends, you ask your network? Yes. I post a job on a job board or I post it on one platform. I'm like, these are your natural platforms as a man, things that you go visit, yes. Have you ever gone to a women entrepreneurship group on Facebook? Did you put it on LinkedIn? Have you ever targeted women on the promotion for the role on social media? Have you gone to women-centric events and actively searched and looked for? Have you hired a headhunter and told them, I want equal representation in my applicants for this role that you, that you send over to me? No. So don't tell me that it doesn't exist. Just put a little bit more effort. That kind of like awareness for gender, I really support. It's not discrimination. It's just putting extra effort for equal opportunity.
0: So there's a question that I ask all of my guests. The question goes, what is a feminist and are you a feminist? A feminist is a person who believes in equality and equal rights between men and women. Yes, I am a feminist. You're the first person to say, yes, I'm a feminist, by the way. The more courageous women have come on the show, and therefore they are feminists, whether they want to call themselves that or not, because they are contributing to female empowerment and hopefully gender equality. But every woman kind of hesitates when I ask her that question. Then they define it and then they say, well, in that case, maybe yes. But also... More shockingly, actually, we've had a lot of women who didn't want to come on the show because they perceived it as a feminist show, even though like, this is not an angry female podcast. Like, We're not here necessarily to say that we have bad experiences as a consequence of our gender because they were afraid that their male colleagues would start judging them if they appeared on a show like this. We've also had women who refused to come on the show because they didn't believe their story was worth telling. Which is the sad one. And so I'm like, it's really nice to have someone who just says, yes, I'm a feminist. It's so funny because, yeah, it's a, it is seen as an
1: aggressive term. And a lot of times I get messages on Instagram or on social media that say, by the way, what you're doing is sexist. And by the way, what you're doing is totally discriminatory towards men and it alienates men and You're doing exactly what you're preaching against, which is gender discrimination. You're discriminating against your gender. And at no point do we ever have women only. At no point. We don't do women only. We have everything revolve around balance. Second of all, are you serious? Are you freaking kidding me, bro? (laughs) Like you were born and raised with a type of privilege and access that women can only dream about and don't even feel they have the right to. They feel guilty for being given access, and the type of privilege that you are. So don't even start coming at me saying that what I'm doing is discriminatory. Like, that's opening a whole can of worms on that, you know? Feminism doesn't mean anti-men.
0: It just means pro-equality.
1: So chill, people.
0: And that was my conversation with Elisa Freja, founder and CEO of Womina. Her story is one of dreaming big, persevering, and driving in the face of challenge but also leadership and the potential that women hold, whether it be as investors, CEOs, managers, and everything in between. To continue following Elisa and Wimina's journey, you can go on Facebook or Instagram and look for Wumina. W-O-M-E-N-A. You were listening to an episode of Who Run The World, hosted by yours, Truly, Marilyn Zachauer, and produced by Rhea Shadid of Raisin Media. Please subscribe to Who Run The World, if you haven't yet, honestly, I don't know what you're thinking. On iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Rami, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about our latest news or what we think about stuff, check out our website, whoruntheworldpodcast.com, or follow our Facebook page, the Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at PermanentHunger. And again, if you still haven't, you can follow Rhea on Raisin. R-H-E-Y-Z-I-N. Where do you listen to your podcasts? (laughs) I listen to them on the Apple podcast app. Which I know you've been yelling at me at. I like Overcast. I know you've been like telling me about this forever, but Mm. I don't see anything wrong with the Apple podcast app. No, it's good. It's good. I just like Overcast because I like the way it's set up and you can put like a timer and you can like, I don't know. But you can do all of that on the Apple Podcast app. Yeah. I don't like being mainstream. You know what's not mainstream? Raisin Media. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it will be. It will be. What were you going to say? Because all your like episodes are going to go viral. Viral. You're going to make me viral. What is not mainstream? Following me. I'm so niche. Isn't that what I just said?
1: You said Raisin Media. Same I'm talking shit. about Raisin the person.
0: Follow Raya <laughs> at Raisin, please.